Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Wow, this feels a bit surreal that we're back in the room. Nine months, what a marathon. We had highs, we had lows, but we're here. And the one thing I'm convinced of is that Jesus is still building his church and the gates of hell or the gates of pandemics or the gates of whatever shall not prevail. And, uh, you know, the last 2,000 years, the church has survived world wars and persecution and pandemics. And I'm just utterly convinced no matter what our world presents to us, the Spirit of God, the truth of his word, And the church of Jesus Christ will continue. The Bible tells us that at the end of the book, at the end of the day in Revelation, that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. And so it is so good to see you. Just want to encourage you uh, to get the word out. Uh, Church has been the best kept secret for nine months. Now we need to get the word out to let everyone know that uh, they can register online. Obviously, we're capped and limited at the moment to a certain amount in the auditorium, but We've got our, at, here at City, we've got 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., 5 p.m., our 3 p.m. prayer service. It looks a little bit different to our normal services, so why don't you register for that, come back. And then we've got our 5 o'clock service. Why don't you invite someone, ring up a friend, family member, work colleague, invite them back to church, similar type of service as you have this morning, albeit with a, a lot of young adults. But we just know that um, God is going to bring us all back over the next few weeks. I'm, next week, I'm beginning a new series on the kingdom of God titled Your Kingdom Come. I'm going to be preaching that for the next five weeks, so uh, looking forward to that. Before we get into the Word today, I'm going to invite our operations pastor, Aaron, to come up and open in prayer as we begin the Word. Can I just say that people like Aaron and many of our team, they have been working so hard behind the scenes, providing online church and everything that's been happening Please, if you see one of the team or you recognize them, uh, would you just go up and say thank you? Because there's a lot of hard work that has gone on the last nine months. We've all been going through a very challenging season, but this team has stepped up. It's a world-class team doing an amazing job. Can we just put our hands together and just honor all the team and all that they're doing? And uh, Pastor Aaron, lead us on. I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit has already started to do a work in me today, and I believe that He's going to finish it through the preaching of the Word. And you know, we don't come to hear a TED Talk today or something just informational, but the Word of God is transformational. And we just need to posture ourselves right now so that God can finish the work that He started. We can find all things in that. So from the top of the production box all the way down, why don't you just join me in prayer? So Heavenly Father, we just posture ourselves right now, God. We thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that, Lord Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit is counsellor and teacher. And so, God, I thank you for the anointing on the Word that Pastor Corey is bringing today. And I thank you that, Holy Spirit, it will transform us to become more like you, Jesus. I thank you that in the Word today, where we need hope, we will find it. I thank you that, God, we we need a secure rock to land on, that, God, we will find it. I thank you that, Lord, where we need a word in season, a direction or left or right today, Holy Spirit, we will receive it by faith. So God, we posture our hearts right now. We open ourselves up to you, not to hear information, but to be transformed by the preaching of the word. 
and the Numa Church family said, Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, mate. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to read through to verse 25 or switch on your Bible on your phone, however it works for you these days. Uh, let's be a people of the Word. God's Word is our foundation. Obviously, during this season, we've all learned to be self-feeders and to grow up in our own faith and feed ourselves. As we're turning there, it's just great honour to have a couple of our great friends, Pastors Andrew and Megan Newbold with us, and we just love you guys. Great to see you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I want to read through to verse 25. And the Hebrew writer says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to speak to you today about confidence in the midst of crises. Confidence in the midst of crises. Two authors, William Strauss and Neil Howe, have written a book called The Fourth Turning. And these two authors, who are historians and economists, not Christians or necessarily prophetically gifted in any way, but in 1991, they predicted that in 2020, the world would face a great crisis and calamity. And it would rival some of the gravest trials that our ancestors have ever faced. And 2020's events would be like a hinge point, a pivot point for human history. And they gave a list of scenarios of what could happen, what their predictions were. And one of those scenarios is, in fact, what we have seen this year. Quite fascinating. 2020 has definitely lived up to that prediction. And never before have news headlines presented to us chaos after chaos, day after day, of significant events, be it the bushfires at the start of this year, Kobe Bryant, police brutality, the global pandemic, the list goes on. We've been barraged and confronted with so many significant events. And one of the things about a crisis is that it reveals who or what you place your confidence in. When you're, when you're not facing adversity, when you're not facing a crisis and you're just in cruise control mode, you can sort of coast through life and think that you're doing okay. But then a crisis comes, something happens outside of your control, and all of a sudden in that moment, you are... Uh, presented, you're, 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 found, you're tested and found wanting depending upon what you have built your life upon. And the book of Hebrews is written to believers who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, the church in Hebrews was capitulating under the weight of that persecution and that pressure. And they were losing confidence in the supremacy of the gospel of Jesus. And they were retreating back to an observance of the Mosaic law, effectively works, trying to salvation by works in their own strength. 
And their crises of faith revealed that they trusted more in their strength and what they could accomplish in their works and their strength than they did in the blood of Jesus and what Jesus' sacrifice has accomplished for them on the cross. I don't know over this season whether you face some several moments like I did during lockdown and during this season when clouds of despair just seem to settle upon your mind and your heart. I found myself in various moments as I looked at the news headlines and just considering all the things that we had to navigate here at Numa Church just within the leadership responsibilities, pivoting and moving backwards and forwards with all the changing dynamics and restrictions, all of the pastoral needs, all of the issues in our community with mental health, all of the challenges that we were facing, just moments where I found myself, even particularly on Sundays when I didn't know what to do with myself, moments where clouds of despair would settle on my mind and heart, and in that moment, I had a choice to make. Who or what was I going to place my confidence in? What was going to be the foundation of my life? What choices was I going to make about my emotional well-being, my spiritual well-being in a season that I could not control? And I recognize I'm not the only one. All of us have been confronted with our own vulnerabilities, And it is a really alarming thing when you are presented with the truth that self-confidence is an illusion. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these blooper reels where you see people acting very confidently and then it all goes pear-shaped. But why don't we just look to the screen for a moment as we watch some very confident people uh, come across some things that they realize they weren't so confident in their own ability. Let's watch the screen. They look quite painful. There are some moments where you think you've worked it all out and just doesn't go the way that you planned. And, and we all come to a point in our lives where we realize, you know what, our flesh will fail us. There are things in this season we simply haven't been able to control. And the Apostle Paul says, we who worship by the Spirit of God put no confidence in the flesh. We live in a world that puts so much confidence in our own abilities and what we can produce and our careers and our jobs. And yet so many people, the whole economic situation has changed. The whole living situation has changed. All of the pressures and dynamics of this season has told all of us that maybe we're not so much in control of our lives as what we thought. And so the question has got to be asked, where do you go in a crisis when your confidence is under attack. And I believe the Hebrew writer exhorts us and points us to where we need to go because the only sustainable source of confidence is the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 19 of this passage, the writer says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By our works? No, by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You know, in the temple, in the old covenant, the holy place was shut off by a veil that was about four inches thick. And the high priest, once a year, would go into those holy of holies And he had to be consecrated, he had to be set apart, he had to have blood put on him, the blood of an animal sacrifice, and he would go in on Yom Kippur, the the high priest would stay in the Holy of Holies for 10 days, and he would go and offer up sacrifice and incense 
on behalf of the people. And so they knew that the high priest hadn't died in the presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant was. They'd attach a bell to a rope. And as long as the bell was still moving around, they knew everything was all okay. But as soon as there was silence, they're like, oh, something went wrong. The high priest didn't go in sanctified or consecrated. And yet 2,000 years ago, when Jesus shed his blood for us, that veil that separated us from relationship with the Father was torn in two by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. From top to bottom, that four-inch curtain was literally torn asunder and even the priests couldn't work out what the heck was going on. They're trying to sew it back together because their minds couldn't compute what was happening. No human being could have torn that apart, but it was Jesus declaring, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. You know, I recalled a story when Joshua, my son, was a baby and he was actually caught uh, stuck in his cot in his room screaming for uh, many, many minutes. And uh, this distressed us as young parents and as a young father. And so my dad happened to be at home at the time and we're trying to fiddle with the, the, the door handle and the lock, trying to open this thing up and nothing was working. Minutes are rolling by. And when your baby's screaming their head off, you know, minutes or seconds can feel like an hour. And so I'm like, you know what, I've got a bright idea. So I go to the garage and I ferret out my 20 kilo barbell from the garage and I roll back into the house, I roll around the corner, I line up and get that thing like a jousting stick and I said, Dad, look out, I'm coming through. And I came through and knocked that thing down. That's a very placid knocking down, isn't it? Though I can assure you it wasn't like that. Thank you, Pastor Breno. He just wanted to make sure no one hurt themselves, namely me. And so we knocked that thing down because as a father, I wanted to break through the barrier to get through to where my kid was on the other side in distress. And when I began to think about what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, the father turned the cross into a jousting stick and said to the enemy of our soul and said to sin that separated us, get out of the way, I'm coming through the veil and I'm making a way for you to have access to approach boldly the throne of grace any time that you have need. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ has done for us because the Father loved us so much, He gave us His one and only Son. You see, what was blocked off by ritual is now accessible by faith. And every single believer in this room, you have direct access to God. And whilst we celebrate that at a personal level, let us never take for granted the corporate power of coming together as God's people in fellowship and in worship to acknowledge Jesus has made a way not just for me, but for all of us. Unfortunately, one of the greatest obstacles that stops us from drawing near is that we tend to elevate past sin over Jesus' eternal sacrifice, and in the process, we fall under condemnation. You see, too many people, too many Christians even, are living outside of the veil because we wrongly believe that the sins that we have committed in our past are more powerful and greater than what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And when we relive past sin and we elevate it, we act as if Jesus has to die on the cross all over again. And yet, 
uh, Hebrews 10 verse 12 says this, when Christ had offered for all time, meaning for all eternity, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time, all eternity, those who are being sanctified. You may have felt yourself coming under the condemnation of the enemy over the last several months of COVID season because the enemy has come and reminded you of past mistakes, past sin, past offenses towards God. And you've actually, in the bubble of this season, have elevated your mistakes and your sin over what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross for you. And I want to tell you today, the devil is a liar. Jesus has offered for all eternity and all time a single sacrifice of sin. There is no cross 2.0. We live in a culture where everything's 2.0 and Apple 7 and Apple 9 and Apple X and Apple XS and even Coke is like, you know, you can have different iterations of the same substance. And so there's Coke vanilla and Coke no sugar and Coke cherry. And every Coke drinker knows the difference between the imitation and the original. I want to tell you today, there is no cross 2.0. There is no need for Jesus to die upon the cross again because his once and for all time sacrifice 2,000 years ago is sufficient for you. When Jesus said it is finished, it means it is finished and he sat down at the right hand of God and the Bible says in Ephesians 2 6 that we who believe in him have been seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus you don't need to sit down if there's more work to do you sit down because you finished the work what Jesus has done for us is enough his sacrifice is enough. He has done everything necessary for you to walk in victory over fear, over temptation, over sin that is in your past. Why? Because Jesus Christ is enough. You know, 20 years ago, I stood next to my grandfather at an altar call and I offered to actually uh, walk with him down the front to respond to a salvation altar call to give his life to Jesus. And my grandmother had got out of her seat, walked down the front of her own accord. And I said, hey, Pa, would you, I'll walk with you. Let's go down. And he said to me, oh, I could never do that because God could never forgive me for the things that I've done in my past. You see, to my grandfather, he'd elevated his past sin over the sufficiency of what Jesus had done for him. And no matter how bad you, your, you think your sin might be, there is no sin in our life that is greater than Jesus' blood. So don't let the lies of the enemy condemn you into distancing yourself from approaching boldly the throne of grace. One of the things that stops intimacy with God in our life is our regrets, our shame, condemnation. But Jesus has made a way for you to approach the throne boldly. In fact, Paul says, I'm sure that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor anything in all, uh, all creation, my paraphrase, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So you've got to ask yourself the question, how do you live in victory over the condemnation of the devil? When the enemy comes and he brings things against you, when he reminds you of past sin, how do you live in victory over that? You've got to hold fast the confession of your hope in Jesus. You've got to remind the enemy and remind yourself and remind the world around you of who you belong to, of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's why in verse 23, the writer says, let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is more than pop psychology and positive self-talk. It's a declaration of faith that's based on Jesus' finished work on the cross, based on total trust, not your feelings, total trust in what God's Word says about you. You've got to understand that what you confess will be ultimately what you possess in your life. What you think becomes what you believe. What you believe, you declare. What you speak out of your mouth is what you act upon, and what you act upon becomes the fruit of your life. Your speech has a very powerful role. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Your speech has the ability to bring into your life that which you're declaring over your life. And so just as when you get saved, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So too in every other area of your life, if confession leads to your possession of eternal life and salvation, how much more everything else in our lives, what you confess will be ultimately what you possess in your life. There was a lady who was um, diagnosed with cancer in her blood and her husband was desperately praying for his wife to be healed. Many months, nothing was happening and he's getting upset at God. It's amazing how we get upset at God when things don't go our way rather than the devil. But anyway, he's getting upset at God. God, why aren't you doing something? And God's like, I've already answered you twice. And he's like, what are you talking about? His eyes look to the shelf at the bookshelf, and he sees this book written by Charles Capps, and it's titled, The Tongue, A Creative Force. He gets it, and the Lord says, I've asked you twice to read this, and you haven't yet. And as he reads it from cover to cover, he gets a revelation of the power of the spoken word, and he walks in six times a day for seven weeks into his wife's bedroom in the hospital, and he declares, red blood cells up. White blood cells down, in Jesus' name be healed. Six times a day for seven weeks. He said every time he confessed that declaration of truth, he felt nothing. There was no warm fuzzies, there was no goosebumps, there was no angels that appeared, nothing was going on. But he's kept on confessing what God had put into his spirit to confess. And seven weeks later, his wife walked out of there with a clean bill of health and has no issue in her life to this day. Why? Because there's something about holding fast the confession of your hope without wavering. You say, well, I tried that. But yeah, but are you holding fast the confession of your hope? It's one thing to hold your fast your confession for five minutes or five days or even five weeks. But is there this relentless nature, this appetite within us that says, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until I see manifest in my life that which you are putting into my heart. Assurance of faith is based on total trust in God's Word, not how I feel on any given day. And if there's anything we've had to learn over the last nine months is not to rely upon our feelings. Because sometimes, you, you know, you have some really dark feelings and, and sometimes you want to do stuff with those feelings and get angry and upset and all those things and pick up a 20 kilo barbell and joust people and all sorts of things. There's all sorts of things you want to do with feelings, but you can't live by your feelings. Feelings and emotions are important, but they are signposts. They are not to be conclusions and outcomes. We're to be reliant upon the truth of God's word, not the roller coaster of emotions that we feel in our lives. It comes back to holding fast the confession of our hope. How can you practically apply this? 
You've got to position yourself to receive encouragement from other believers. And this is the power of live gatherings. This is the power of life groups. This is the power of being a part of a church community where you're doing life with people. Discipleship was never intended to be an individualistic, independent exercise, but a communal exercise where we're a part of a community of faith and others are speaking into our lives and we're speaking into each other's lives. That's why in verse 24, the writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do you do that? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the best ways to hold your confession is to have men and women of God, other believers, speak into your life. And we've been in a season of isolation. We've been in a season where bad habits have formed We've been isolated from each other, albeit by necessity. And there were good reasons for that in this season. And yet, at the same time, we recognize that as God's Word says, it's not good for man or a woman to be alone. That isn't just about marriage as it is about the need for community. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to be in relationship. You know, after the Enlightenment in the 18th century... Everyone was now enlightened and educated and even when it came to matters of faith, people started to conclude that I don't need other believers. I don't need the church to worship God. Have you ever heard someone say that, a Christian, or maybe even yourself at times? Well, I don't need the church and I don't need others to worship God. And whilst we encourage and and God wants every individual to have their own personal intimate faith with Him, the reality is that the Christian faith is designed to be expressed in community. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. There was a sense of community, of oneness, of unity, of gathering together as God's people. And so fast forward to the 21st century after the Enlightenment, there is this sense where many believers live very independently and individualistically of each other and try and follow Jesus in their own strength and in their own bubble of life, forgetting that one of the names for God is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Emmanuel doesn't mean God with me, even though that is a theological reality. God with us means that God is to be celebrated, expressed, worshipped and engaged in fellowship in the corporate us of the local church and to have God with us and in us and close to us. Guess what? You've got to find an us to actually gather with. You've got to be careful how you say that. But you've got to find a corporate gathering of the us and you've actually got to position yourself in a place of accountability. Hello, that isn't a popular word in our culture today. And place yourself in an environment where people can speak into your life. We live in such a fractured culture. And it's only on the increase. And COVID has shown us the, the cracks in our relational uh, paradigms and, and ideas of what connection really looks like. And yet deep down, even in the most introverted personality, is a longing and a desire and an appetite and a thirst for friendship and community and a sense of belonging. And like I talked to an atheist on the streets of Paris many years ago, they said, no one does community like the local church. There's something about the local church that when we come together where God does something that could never happen on our own. 
That's why several times in this passage, it uses the phrase, let us. It doesn't say let you or let me. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us draw near with a true heart. The emphasis is on the corporate response over the individual pursuit. You know, I heard some believers say when COVID hit and church gatherings were restricted and, uh, you know, locked down for a season, oh, it's the end of church as we know it and, you know, it's... um, We're not going to be able to gather together again. And whilst, yes, there were some dynamics and changes and learning how we engage with technology, the reality is the church has survived global world wars and pandemics and persecution, and yet it just keeps marching forward and marching on because it's eternal. Jesus birthed it. Jesus built it. His spirit is in it. You're a part of it, and we're called to gather together in it to be the people of God that he's called us to be. I'm telling you, there will never come a time, a day, an age, or an issue that will ever stop the forward advancement of the church of Jesus Christ because we are the vehicle of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in Revelation that one day the kingdoms and empires of this world will become the kingdom of our God. They'll be swallowed up in the fullness of the kingdom of God in men and women's hearts. You know, in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all together in one place. It didn't say they were all scattered in multiple places watching church online. They said they were all together in one place. Church online has been brilliant, but guess what? Praise God about being together in one place. And then in the togetherness of one place, suddenly, the Bible says, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In other words, the kingdom of heaven broke in to where God's people were gathered together. There's something that happens in this dynamic that won't happen by yourself. And I really believe that heaven suddenly are attracted to our obedience to gather together and to be the people of God that he's called us to be. And, and Matthew 18, 20 confirms it for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You know, God's here right now. I don't know about you. I can feel it. I can sense it. He's with me in my heart. He's with me on this platform right now. He's with you where you are in worship and in the Word. You can sense the presence of God. And I pray that every time we gather together, there would be an increasing awareness of God's presence in our lives, an increasing awareness of God's grace at work in our church and through our ministry, and that would bring boldness into our lives. You know, in 1991, the Russian military staged a coup to take over the Russian government. And some of you would remember the images of that time where as Russian tanks rolled towards President Boris Yeltsin's office and his uh, ministry uh, buildings, um, Boris Yeltsin and his team walked out the front doors and boldly strode down the steps and Boris Yeltsin jumped up onto the lead tank and he tapped on the lid and the commander who was coming to blow into smithereens and enforce the agenda of the military coup 
popped the lid open and Boris Yeltsin stuck his hand out and said, it's so good that you've come over to the right side to protect the Russian people and to guard the interests of the Russian government. And the commander who was coming to stage the coup was overtaken by his confidence and boldness. He's like, this must be the leader that I should be following. And so he just told all of the tanks, no, we're not doing what the military commander said. We are following the president and a coup was averted. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's just like the enemy. His tanks roll into our lives. His tanks have rolled across the earth this year spiritually, metaphorically, to try and intimidate and attack and cause chaos on the earth. And if ever there was a people on the earth that should be bold, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion when the wicked flee. If there's any group of people that should be full of faith and not fearful, but fearless in the face of what's happening, it is the people of God because the Spirit of the Holy God lives inside of us. And if a president who doesn't know God and is an atheist can have boldness to stand in front of an entire military, how much more should the church of Jesus Christ and the people of God I'm not saying not having wisdom and common sense. I'm simply saying that we should be living fearless of whatever it is that the enemy might bring against us. And so that's why, because of what Jesus Christ has done, not what you've done, not what I've done, but what Jesus has done, don't throw away your confidence this year. Hebrews 10.35 says, don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. Confidence in yourself might not be rewarded, but confidence in Jesus always will. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what He's promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You know, in many ways, I'm preaching to the choir today because you're back and you're a part of it and you've been so faithful. Those of you who call this church your home and it's so great to have visitors with us and you're welcome to be a part of the family as well. But you know what? All of us this year at different moments have been presented with challenges, news headlines, issues in our family, in our work that may have caused real fear and doubt about the truth of the gospel and the power of it in our lives. And yet today, you can have confidence in the midst of the crisis that's happening around us in every season. Whether global pandemics or years to come, other issues and challenges, because we're building our life upon the truth of God's word. Not our feelings, not the fleeting changes in culture, even the things that are happening in parliament right now with all sorts of legislation and laws around issues of sexuality and all the things that are going on, we're building our life upon something that is eternal. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. I'd love to pray with you. Would you stand to your feet with me? And and just invite you, close your eyes and just open up your heart to the Lord. Father, right now, I just pray for people, God, who all of us at different moments this year have wrestled, we've struggled, we've asked the big questions of our lives. And we've found ourselves feeling powerless, out of control, not knowing what the next day, week, month could possibly look like. And yet here we are, 
we're gathered together again, hearing the gospel preached, worshiping, fellowshipping. We thank you, Father, that you have sustained us and strengthened us. But I pray right now that through this word, that, Lord, you would put holy boldness and confidence inside every single one of us based upon the truth of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. We need you. We can't do life on our own. We are lost without you. We are weak and powerless without you. But when your spirit comes and fills us, when you save us from our sin, you make us into new creations in Christ Jesus. You empower us with gifts and abilities and grace. You fill us and strengthen us with the truth of your word. That no matter what storms may come our way, the house of our hearts and of our lives will stand firm because we're building our lives upon the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.